Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you to Women in Music South Africa for inviting me to this important panel discussion. For those of you who don't know, my three passions in life are women, Africa, and the arts. And today I'm going to be focusing my discussion on my experience in the entertainment industry, which spans close to 30 years, overlapping with the, overlapping with the work that I've done in the, the activism space, from learning, training, understanding, and unpacking the different kinds and, and different types of abuse, using my platform to, to create awareness um, and becoming a, a certified life coaching counsellor, and then also speaking from the victim and survivor point of view. I'll be using my personal experiences because what better way to, to, to prove the atrocities that happen within our industry and how it's so difficult for people to speak out and gain justice. And also, I will be sharing stories of other people whom I have the consent to share. And I use the word consent intentionally because, remember, abuse is about power. It's about overpowering the next person, violating the next person without their consent. As we know, the entertainment industry is led and ruled by men. During the apartheid era, as we know, it was white men. And so any point of, of support given to women is minimal let alone the LGBTQI community who are not seen, marginalized. And the other factor of why and how misogyny and patriarchy is able to rule freely within our industry is because they have the support of the enablers. Now, the enablers can be women, can be men, can be non-binary persons. It's anybody who is victimizes or tries to silence somebody for speaking out. Anybody who would rather support the perpetrator or support their business is known as an enabler. An enabler can be somebody who's witnessed something but refuses to speak out, turns a blind eye. They're just as bad as the person who is doing the act of violence or the person who is violating the other person for their gain. Remember, it's all about power. And often what happens in the structure is that you have the powers that be you control what's going to be going on, but then also control the enablers. So people say, well, why didn't somebody speak out if you have witnesses? Why didn't they come forward? If the person in control is controlling the enablers' purse strings, their career, it's not very easy for people to speak out. And then you get to the point where there's that level of intimidation especially if, if the enabler or the, or the victim and survivor has family. Their lives are then put at risk. And so one my first example of, of experiencing this level of patriarchal and, and, and enabling, and this is the first example I'm going to use. It's not the first time I've seen in the industry, but a couple of years ago, I decided to come back into, into the industry as an actress after taking a sabbatical to, to, to hone in on my other skills. And unfortunately, um, I experienced a huge amount of sexual harassment on, on set. I refused to take off my clothing or perform certain sexual acts as my character, although my, my contract stated that I didn't need to. And it took a lot of fighting and, this, and, and, and meetings with producers and, and, and my agent and so forth. But the first red flag for me, and this is a message to, to especially those young and up-and-coming people in the industry, whether it's music, TV, theater, whatever it is, is that if your management or your support structure do not support you, that is a red flag. So my agent came forward, and, and her first thing she said to me was, 
You don't want to make too much noise, otherwise people won't want to work with you again. Despite the fact that I've been violated, despite the fact that the production company were in breach of contract. And that was, when, that was the day that I realized that I needed to fire her. Cut a long story short, it got to the point where they refused to budge and I ended up having to resign. And I knew that speaking out would possibly cost me my career. And what happened over the next couple of months was a reality. And that is the reality of why so many people in the industry don't want to speak out. Because after um, this, 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 this crime that happened on set, and it is a crime because it was a violation, um, we had a meeting with, 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 with the broadcasters who were incredibly supportive. And, and, and that is just another um, example of how you can be a true ally, to listen to both sides of the story and see the right for the wrong. And they were the first ones to apologize to me. But the next day, the gaslighting continued on set of why did I speak out? I should have kept quiet. Um, the production even had the audacity to use my health without my consent as an excuse as to why I was resigning. After I had resigned a couple of months later, the, the channel decided to actually just can the show. And the, the, the excuse that the production gave the cast and crew was that you can blame Rosie Mathena for losing your job. So another form of gaslighting. And I knew then, from then, I was termed a difficult person to work with. Why? Because I spoke out. Fast forward to a couple of years later, a group of us uh, professionals decided to speak out and, and come clear about the abuse that many of us had, had endured under the hands of a well-known filmmaker. He was known as the golden boy of the industry. And the reason why I spoke up so many years after the incident was that back then when it had happened, I knew I wouldn't have had the support from so many people and that his moves had been incredibly strategic. And this brings me to, to, to another point is that when people operate in a specific space and know where their power is, <clears throat> a lot of the actions are repeated. And speaking to the other survivors in this scenario, a lot of the actions were the same. At first, this perpetrator contacted me through LinkedIn, telling me that there were films that I could possibly work on. And I found it a bit odd because knowing that, that you know, I had an agent, but I, I didn't indulge it too, too much. Then being at a film festival and talking about how he really wants to share and show me some of his footage of, of a Nelson Mandela documentary and luring me into his hotel room. I was lucky. The physical and sexual abuse didn't happen because my instinct kicked in and I left. Many people didn't have that opportunity. The verbal abuse, abuse that ensued after that, the intimidation, the emotional and psychological abuse that he put on me made me believe that even if I wanted to speak out, nobody would have believed me. So fast forward to the time where we all spoke out and a lot of our stories and experiences overlapped. And we knew that there was going to be backlash, as always, because people are governed by patriarchal ideologies and we still have to unlearn a lot of that learning, each and every one of us. It's, it's a journey that we all need to go on. But it's leading me into my next, my next point, is that 
why it's so difficult and why people don't want to speak out is that level of intimidation that happens afterwards. When you question those who knew, when you question the society or the spaces that allowed his abuse and violations to thrive, that supported him, that gave him finance, that supported, gave him huge budgets to continue making work because he's such a brilliant filmmaker, despite the fact that he violated and continues to violate so many other young people. Or other people, particularly women. And of course, there was the victim blaming of people saying, well, why did you go to his hotel room? To be quite honest, for a long time, I thought that he was gay. And so I felt that that could be, possibly be a safe space. And I apologize to, to, to the gay community for putting such a vile person into their space. But then the lack of support from people in the industry afterwards adds to the emotional and psychological abuse that we endured. And then you get the people who question you and question other survivors. One of the most disheartening and uncomfortable conversations was with a woman who I revered as a strong feminist and an ally within our community was the first person to say, well, we need the courts to decide, and then said, well, one of the other survivors um, has a mental illness, therefore she's unstable, therefore we shouldn't believe her. Not understanding that the mental illness could have happened after the violation, but just because somebody has suffers and is hurt and is living through trauma doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe them, doesn't mean that the act did not happen. I started to question certain groups and certain um, NGOs and, and support within the industry as to why they haven't questioned his business partners. I was shut down. I was silenced. I continued to speak. I even received a threatening legal letter from his business partner, which included other stakeholders, such as the NFVF, the National Film and Video Foundation, the IPO, Independent Producers Organization, stated that they were concerned about what I was saying about their client and wanted a round table with all of these key players. And at first, it is worrying and it is intimidating you get this letter. But then I thought to myself, great, maybe, maybe they're going to come to the table. Maybe this is a moment where we could come together as an ally because they know. They said they know. We've sat around dinner tables. We've sat... In, in, in meetings, we've sat in so-called safe spaces where they've shared. And what happened after that? My legal team contacted them. Nothing happened. No response. We made three or four attempts, no response. And then I sat back and I was like, okay, what was this action? Even my lawyer was baffled. And then I started to have conversations with people in the industry and they were like, no, it was strategic. It was meant to intimidate me. It was meant to scare me. And of course, it was meant to damage me even more because, as we know, private legal fees are incredibly expensive. So that put a dent into my finances. Knowing that my acting career had already come to an end, so I relied on my business and I relied on my producer. Activism doesn't pay. 
the next problem in the equation of, of, of why people don't speak out and why justice doesn't happen is that those who are supposed to protect us or be mediators in our spaces are absent. So all of us trying to open up a case against this filmmaker, none of us could get as far as the NPA, although there was evidence. From my experience, the minute I went in and I opened up the case and, and I tried to open the case at the Rosebank uh, police station, I was told, no, I need to go to Durban and open because the crime happened there, which is nonsense. Fortunately, I know my rights as an individual and as a victim, as a survivor, that if a, a crime happens in South Africa, it doesn't matter where it happened. You can open up, the police, open up a case at any police station. It is up to the police. It is their duty to then transfer that docket to that, that, that specific police station. I knew that, that in my heart, as much as we want to justice, because this, this filmmaker is, has a lot of political um, connections, um, that it would never make to, to never get to the NPA. It doesn't mean that the crime didn't happen. And that's an important factor also to bring in, is that people think that, well, if the NPA don't take on the case and it doesn't go to court, doesn't mean that the crime did not happen. The perpetrator is not seen as innocent as yet. There was even a women's group who were supposed to be showing support and provided no psychosocial support or legal support. A lot of things happened, which um, I'm not allowed to talk about anymore because I took them to the Commission of Gender Equality. And after many years of dealing with this additional emotional support and them issuing a, a public statement saying that the industry needs to stay away from me had a huge financial impact on me, but also on psychosocial support on those that wanted to, 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 to receive assistance. So after my, my, my hearing with the Commission of Gender Equality, where they admitted to, to, to a lot of the wrongdoing and were supposed to rectify certain things, the bulk of my complaint was not present. Files had disappeared. Other complaints were not added to the file. I made complaints to the, 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 the officer who was in charge, and of course I was given a whole lot of legal jargon. Um, and in response, I was told, well, this is just a woman's issue. How can it just be a woman's issue where people are violated and move into a space where they're supposed to be protected and that protection is not granted? So looking at why people don't get justice is that our first point of call, police. Not always, not always. There are, there are police stations and officers who are doing amazing work. But if it's a high-profile person who has political affiliations, your docket is not going to leave that police station, if, if you're lucky to have it opened. It's so important that when we embark on this journey to end gender-based violence, we need to understand and look at all of these factors. It's great that in 2018, our president admitted that our country was in a crisis in terms of gender-based violence, that we were in a pandemic then before COVID. But in reality, the crisis has been happening for decades. If you look at certain organizations that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years, women's organizations and NGOs that support victims and, and survivors of gender-based violence, they've been around for 50, 60, 70 years. That means 50, 60, 70 years ago, we had a problem, we had a crisis. And so now it's been made aware, our president has, has, has reclaimed it for once, great. 
He's accepted the 24 demands, which were written out by the total shutdown movement. But what is happening on the ground? Yes, during Women's Month, 16 days of activism, we have these campaigns and beautiful webinars and everything is up on Instagram pages and it's all great and solidarity, but on the ground, what is happening? Not so long ago, a women's organization and a, a government body in, our, in, in the industry brought out this campaign about the Sisters Keeper and how they're gonna be looking out for people in the industry. Great, great initiative, and we see you and we feel you. But then a couple of months later, we found out that they had just appointed a convicted abuser to their council. Convicted. And granted, maybe they didn't know about the conviction, but as activists, we reminded them and said, well, what are you going to do? Thinking they're part of the Sisters Keepers movement. Instead of solidarity, I was told, no, go speak to the minister. It's his, it's his situation. That's your problem. And so I did, and I had to give examples of why, and explanations rather, of why it was not right to be placing such a person in, in, in such a position, especially after the government had accepted the 24 demands. A couple of weeks later, the person was taken off the council, but why did it have to get to that point? Why, where was that solidarity? When this, when this organization tried to silence me, it affected my business, number one. So casting agents wouldn't, wouldn't send clientele, um, people wouldn't work with me, and I found this because of moles within every company. But I pursued, even through my emotional and psychological breakdown. Unfortunately for me, I didn't have the financial means to go to, 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 to seek the necessary private health care for my mental health. I'm privileged, I have supporters and warriors and people in my space who were there to care for me. But I got through and I'm here and I'm standing. But many people don't get through that. Many people can't pick up their lives after being banned or thrown out of a career. Yes, I appeared that everything was great after losing my job and as, as an actress and knowing that my career had come to an end. But in the, long, in the long run, it affects you. And so that's just my story. And I've told you in the beginning that it's my story because I have the right to speak about it. How many other souls have gone through that? How many other souls are still suffering? In the case of, of the filmmaker, people have had to leave the country. but yet support is shown to his enablers and him. So in closing, these webinars go great and I salute you for it, but now the work starts. What are you doing in your immediate environment? In your business, what is your sexual harassment policy? The most important thing now, um, and, and as us as professionals, is that many of us knew about what was happening back then. It took a lot for all of us to come out and speak about the filmmaker, but we did. It took a long time for me to, to, to stop blaming myself because although I went through the verbal and psychological and emotional abuse, I was able to get away from that possible sexual or physical abuse. But many of my younger sisters didn't. 
that's why speaking up is so important for me and, and providing that support, support where it's wanted and where it's needed. It's not about the hashtags during 16 days. It's not about the hashtags or events during Women's Month. It's what are we doing on the ground now? What do you know from then? Corporates, this is where you can put your money into. We need assistance with legal. People are being scared by defamation cases and letters because a lot of the time the perpetrators are winning. Going back to, 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 to uh, the time when I was on set and my agent saying to me, and it was in an email, that you don't want to speak too much because in case people don't want to work with you. I found out afterwards that every time an actress came to her after that, speaking about sexual harassment, she automatically gives them an NDA. NDAs have stopped and silenced so many people, particularly in the music industry. Don't sign something that you don't, do not know. There are a lot of free and, and pro bono spaces that can dissect a legal agreement for you. And if you have signed one, still take it through. Because we've also discovered that some of those NDAs are not standard and will never stand up in a, in, in, in a court of law. You've tried to silence some of us. We've gone through the emotional and traumatic experience. Some of us have hit rock bottom, but I've risen. I'm still standing. Now I can speak without my voice shaking. Some days it might shake and that's okay. Know that the healing journey is not linear and there's power in our vulnerability. I use that term, it's not mine, it's coined from Brené Brown. Look her up, uh, uh, watch, watch her YouTube videos and she talks about power in our vulnerability because society has told us that being vulnerable is weak, it's not. That healing or seeking assistance is just a, a, a quick thing, we just need to get over it, it's not. Everybody responds to trauma differently. And that's why for the last 20, 30 years, yes, I've spoken about being a survivor because in some crimes I am a survivor. But some days I'm a victim. Some days I'm hurting. And I'm allowed to feel that pain. But when approaching this, be honest. Be honest with what you can provide to the space. Look in your immediate environment. Do you know of something that happened in the past? Instead of providing support to the perpetrator, see what, you, what support you can provide to the victims and survivors. The journey of the last couple of years has not been easy for me. Yes, I will put up a strong persona because... I've been placed in spaces where I've been betrayed, so you need to protect yourself, but find your safety net. And in that safety net, that is when you crumble, that is when you're allowed to be vulnerable, that is when you're allowed to heal. Today I stand in front of you as a survivor. Last week I was a victim. Next week I might be a victim again. And that's why I use the two terms, victim and survivor, because it's up to the individual to decide who they are. It's not up to us to say, okay, well, you're a survivor. Now you've dealt with it, move on. No. The healing journey, it is not easy. And so why we do this work is that why should we go 
through this journey where it's just about change of mindset, our internal work that needs to change. Show true solidarity. Understand what being an ally is. And to the perpetrators, you've broken souls. Some people are buried physically. Some are dying silently. Some of us have risen again. And you no longer will silence us. Thank you.